I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of Newt's World, when a drug-addicted Hunter Biden abandoned his waterlogged computer at a Mac repair shop in Delaware, in the spring of 2019, just six days before his father announced his candidacy for the United States presidency, it became a ticking time bomb in the shadow of Joe Biden's campaign. The dirty secrets contained in Hunter's laptop almost derailed his father's presidential campaign and ignited one of the greatest media cover-ups in American history. This is the true story of what's really inside the laptop What China Knows About the Bidens, brought to you by the New York Post journalist who brought it out in the open. Miranda Devine is a reporter, a columnist, and has really dug into the whole Biden corruption system and just produced a book called Laptop from Hell, Hunter Biden, Big Tech, and the Dirty Secrets the President Tried to Hide. And it's available now. Miranda, I'm delighted to have you, and you've done amazingly well with hardcover copies of your book sold out on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Laptop from Hell was number one on Amazon. I'm curious because you've written about many things and I've had a great relationship going back to your days in Australia. What made you decide to write Laptop from Hell? Rudy Giuliani basically contacted me and gave me a copy of Laptop from Hell and my colleagues at the New York Post, particularly Emma Jo Morris. And so on October 13 last year, three weeks before the election, we published the first of a number of 
really blockbuster stories, all based on emails that we had verified on that laptop that Hunter Biden had abandoned. And these were stories which showed with the emails, or indicated anyway, that Joe Biden had not told the American people the truth during their campaign when he said he knew nothing about his son Hunter Biden's overseas business dealings, because these emails indicated that, in fact, Joe Biden, when he was vice president, had met with the Ukrainian benefactor executive from the corrupt Ukrainian energy company that was giving Hunter $83,000 plus a month for not doing very much. The minute that story went live online at 5am, big tech, the two social media giants, Facebook and Twitter, just censored it. And the rest of the media quickly moved to suppress it, ignore it, or later on traduce our reporting as Russian disinformation. And of course, they were helped in that by a really egregious letter put together by John Brennan, the former CIA director, and James Clapper, Leon Panetta, Michael Hayden, 50 former intelligence operatives and defence people who had very high up offices in their day. And 50 of them put their names and signed this letter, which was then given to Politico, which claimed that the laptop and our reporting, by extension, was Russian disinformation. In their expert views, this had all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. And then lower down in that letter, they admit that they haven't looked at the laptop. They never asked us to have a look at the laptop. They never asked anybody. They didn't inspect it. They were just speaking from a place of complete ignorance. And that letter was pure political propaganda, which was written in order for Joe Biden to have something when he walked into the debate a couple of days later against Donald Trump. And Donald Trump, of course, brought up our reporting and the laptop. And he said, Joe, they're calling you corrupt. And Joe Biden said, that's nonsense. He said, the intelligence community has said that this is garbage. This is Russian disinformation. And he got away with it. To this day, there would be readers of the New York Times and the Washington Post, viewers of CNN and MSNBC, probably half the country that still believes that the laptop and all our reporting was just Russian disinformation. And as you just mentioned, polls, there were polls done by the Media Research Centre after the election, which showed that almost half of Biden voters did not know that anything about the laptop from hell's scandal. And they didn't know, of course, that Hunter Biden and his uncle, Jim Biden, Joe Biden's younger brother, were under investigation for various allegations, including tax evasion and foreign agent registration issues. And they didn't know because none of that was made public until after the election. And what's more, if these Biden voters had known, something like one in 10 of them would have changed their vote. And in an election where where winning or losing came down to 45,000 votes across a handful of battleground states. That really could have been the difference between winning and losing. As a journalist, were you surprised at the uniform hostility that your reporting got in that period? 
I wasn't surprised by the hostility because we know that the Russia hoax should have told you enough, the impeachment coverage, etc., that fully half of mainstream media, all the so-called prestige brands like the New York Times and Washington Post and CNN, MSNBC and so on, are all in the tank for Biden and were virulently anti-Trump. So they sort of threw journalistic ethics out the window a long time before and became willfully naive and gullible about all the Russia hoax stories, the Steele dossier and so on. They never applied any of the normal journalistic sort of analytical cynicism that they do to everything else. But what I was staggered about, really, and I think Americans and people all over the world, I mean, Emmanuel Macron, in fact, weighed in on this, staggered at the power and the naked exercise of that power by the big tech oligarchs. Facebook and Twitter just came out of the shadows and they put their thumb on the scale of the election. That amounted to election interference. And they followed up by deplatforming the sitting president of the United States. And that shows really that they are more powerful than the government of the United States, more powerful than the president. And that's a new and incredibly frightening position that we're in. And I really can't believe that a year later, nothing has been done about it. But of course, you have in the White House somebody who's so deeply indebted to them. And you have Democrats in the House and Senate who I think feel similarly. I do want to point out that the newspaper you work for, the New York Post, is the oldest newspaper in the United States and the fourth largest. I mean, this wasn't like they were just swatting as some right-wing publication. This is one of the great newspapers in American history, going all the way back to Alexander Hamilton, and a place which has done an amazing job of covering not just New York, but national politics. And in many ways, I think now, in terms of New York City itself, has beaten out the New York Times as a publication that has an impact and an influence. So when they decided that you could not communicate with the country. They were really taking on a historic institution. At the time, I just thought it was astonishing. And of course, Twitter allows the Taliban spokesman to be on Twitter, but does not allow an American leader who got 73 million votes. Someday historians will come back and look at the oligarchs and the degree to which the United States had a period of really deep sickness. But a big part of that sickness relates to China in a variety of ways. And one of them is the Biden family. But before I dive totally into China, aren't you struck that Hunter was prepared to sell out to Russia, prepared to sell out to Ukraine? I mean, any place that there was an authoritarian system that wanted influence in Washington, if they had money, Hunter Biden was available. So China, while it's the most important threat to the U.S., and it did the most to corrupt the Biden family, China's only a piece of an international story of selling out to authoritarians. I mean, at least that's my impression. Absolutely. Really, Hunter and his uncle Jim were swimming with the sharks of the world. I mean, the most corrupt, most evil oligarchs from around the world. And they were selling off Joe Biden's name and his influence to the highest bidder. And there are a lot of 
smaller countries who are desperate for American money. Ukraine was desperate for that $1 billion in American aid that Joe Biden threatened to withhold unless they fired the very prosecutor, Viktor Shokin, who was investigating that corrupt Ukrainian energy company, Burisma, that was giving Hunter, or in the end, gave him more than $4 million. And it just seemed that there was sort of an amoral aspect to this. There was no concern about abusing American prestige and power abroad. Joe Biden, when he was vice president, he basically internationalised a decades-old influence peddling scheme that he'd perfected in Delaware. And, I mean, Delaware is a unique state because it's a small state And so many American companies are headquartered there because it has various tax benefits, but also this opacity of corporate records, which have caused sort of transparency organisations to call it America's Liechtenstein or, you know, it's the Virgin Islands of America. And it's very difficult to see through to who's directors of companies and where the money's gone. And for that reason, Joe Biden had this disproportionate power and influence over the American corporate landscape for many years. And he also had managed to parlay his early genuine tragedies of losing his wife and his baby daughter and his two sons being injured in hospital. He was sworn in as a senator, just turned 30, at the hospital bedside of his sons, Hunter and Beau. And those images he traded off for his entire career. And of course, no heart could remain closed to two motherless boys and a widowed grieving father. But he did not give up this new career in the Senate to look after those motherless boys. He forged ahead in Washington, D.C. and left his children in the care of his aunt, who they loved very much and was an important mother figure for them, and his mother, Joe's mother, their grandmother, in Delaware. And he said that he used to commute. He made a big thing of commuting backwards and forwards on Amtrak every night. But I'm told that he got home when the boys were asleep and maybe went in and kissed their sleeping faces. But just from the outpourings uh, of self-pity that is on the laptop of Hunter, both to friends and family and to psychiatrists and therapists, he certainly felt abandoned as a child. And that's understandable because he lost his mother so early when he was just two. And so there are some losses and genuine tragedy in Joe Biden's past, but he sort of parlayed that into extra influence and power for himself when he arrived in Washington. A lot of older Dixiecrat senators took him under their wing, and he's now the big anti-racist and calling out white supremacists, but those were his friends when he first got to the Senate, and he famously gave the eulogy for Robert Byrd, who was some grand cyclops of the Ku Klux Klan, apparently. And as a result of those friendships and that mentorship from these older men, he very early on got some pretty powerful roles in the Senate. You would know this, Speaker Gingrich. He was chairman of the Judiciary Committee and chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee. And his foreign affairs interests very early on 
brought him into the orbit of Chinese influence operations. He was one of the first senators to visit China and be duchessed there at the equivalent of their Martha's Vineyard very early on. And he came back and he was in fact mocked by, I think it was the Weekly Standard, just saying how sycophantic he was about China. And then he also was using his powerful position in the Senate. He was instrumental in allowing China to join the World Trade Organization and persuaded various wavering senators on his own side in the Clinton administration to go along with it. And of course, that was the sort of watershed moment of doom for American manufacturing and the subsequent hollowing out of the heartland and the loss of jobs and all the tragedies that stemmed from that. Joe Biden has sort of been implicated in the China story from the beginning. And what he did when he was vice president was he internationalised that Delaware-based influence peddling operation, which he and his family had down to a T, and he basically transferred it to the countries around the world where he had carriage and where American prestige and power and money was terribly important. And so whether it was China or Russia or Ukraine or Romania or Serbia, his family would go anywhere. And in the last two years of Joe Biden's vice presidency, the Biden family hooked up with basically with President Xi's Belt and Road Initiative. They were doing work on behalf of the Chinese Communist Party's Belt and Road Initiative around the world. And I have a scene in the book where Hunter, just a few months after, in 2017, after Joe Biden steps down as vice president, Hunter is looking for the money that they are owed from CEFC for the previous two years' work, and he's getting quite irate in a restaurant in Manhattan with the 2IC of CEFC, the capitalist arm of the Belt and Road Initiative, and he's banging the table and he's saying, you owe my family $20 million for the work that we've done over the last two years around the world. This was not only an influence peddling operation internationalised, but it also was being done with the implicit consent, the involvement and the knowledge of Joe Biden. Jack Armstrong, he's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. 
Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to go back just for a minute. You have a section that I have a sort of personal indirect tie to and that Cliss and I are very close friends of Franco Nuschesi, who owns Cafe Milano. Cafe Milano's not only is it a great restaurant and a great gathering point, but it's the place where the Iranians tried to bomb the Saudi Arabian ambassador. And so it's had a lot of interesting background. And you report that on April 16th, in a private room, which I think I know pretty well, that Vice President Biden had a dinner attended by Hunter's business associates from Ukraine, Russia, and Kazakhstan. And that 14 days after that meeting with the Vice President, Hunter was named on the board of Burisma. And on his five years on the board, he received $4 million. Now, how could Biden, the Vice President, have gone to a dinner like that, clearly meeting with people from three countries that two of them have clearly authoritarian governments and the third just has a very corrupt government, the semi-authoritarian, and then sit there on the debate and say he didn't know anything about it. That was April 16, 2015 at Cafe Milano and Hunter was already on the board of Burisma. And he brought his father to this dinner in the private garden room to meet his associates from, as you said, Ukraine and Russia and Kazakhstan. And in fact, there's a photograph of Hunter Biden, Joe Biden and an oligarch from Kazakhstan and a former prime minister 
they're standing in what looks like the garden room back in 2016 and you can see on the window behind them, behind a sort of a gauzy curtain, this mirror image of the Cafe Milano well-known logo. And that image was placed on an anti-corruption site in Kazakhstan and we haven't been able to verify when it was taken or really its provenance. So I've sort of urged caution and when we published that in the New York Post, we made the point that we can't verify it. But it does look as if it was a legitimate photograph taken at Cafe Milano in that garden room around that time, judging from the decor. Whether or not it was taken that night, I don't know. Maybe there was another dinner with Kazakhstanis and Hunter and Joe Biden. But whatever is the case, as usual, it's sort of the cover-up that catches you. And what we know is that Joe Biden, during the campaign, repeatedly denied that he had any knowledge of Hunter Biden's overseas business dealings. And what we know from the laptop and also from Tony Bobulinski's voluminous material, emails and documents, a lot of which overlaps with the material on the laptop, but also is some original material as well. We know that Joe Biden met with numerous of Hunter Biden's business partners, both American and international. And he met Mexicans, he met Kazakhstanis, he met Ukrainians, he met Chinese, he met Russians, he met them in Beijing, he met them in Washington DC at his own vice presidential residence at the Naval Observatory, he met them at Cafe Milano. And this dinner is documented in a number of ways on the laptop. The email that we first published in that bombshell story, we didn't know about the Cafe Milano dinner at that stage because that took a lot of cross-referencing and more digging in the laptop. But at that stage, we did have this email that we'd verified from Vadim Pozorowski, who was the sort of number two at Burisma, the executive who was sort of handling Hunter and organising his invoices and so on. And he wrote an email to Hunter Biden saying, thank you very much for the opportunity to meet your father in Washington. So when we published that story three weeks before the election, the president just went to ground. I don't think he came up for about three days. He just went to his basement. His campaign gave very odd denials. What they said was there was no such meeting on his official calendar. But then to one reporter, they said, well, look, we can't rule out that there might have been some incidental meeting, but he doesn't know everybody that he might shake hands with. And then in June or July, and when in the summer, I uncovered the Cafe Milano story and the multiple emails, the guest list that Hunter had sent his friend Devin Archer, the emails telling people that his father would be there, and then various thank you emails afterwards. And also a curious email in which he says to one of the guests that he's using the pre- pretext of the World Food Organization America, on whose board he sat, which is a domestic operation. It's just affiliated with that UN outfit. And there's absolutely no reason for the domestic organization to meet with international people. But in any case, he told one of the guests that he was using this World Food Organization as a pretext. That's the quote, pretext for this dinner. You can only surmise from that that the real reason for the dinner was for these business associates to meet the vice 
vice president. And so when I published that story, the Washington Post decided to do a fact check of it. And they went to the White House, which ignores emails from us, and got an answer that, yes, look, Joe Biden did go to that dinner, but he didn't stay for very long. He was there very briefly. And he didn't go for any nefarious purposes. He actually went for religious purposes because there was a Greek Orthodox priest there who was a family friend and had been invited as well. And so he had only gone to meet him, even though he'd, I believe, met this same Greek Orthodox priest just a few hours earlier at some function. It was all very curious. And this is significant because just after the election, someone from the Biden campaign, a spokesman, told the Washington Post that the story that Joe Biden had met with this Ukrainian person was garbage, was untrue, was a lie. And so the Washington Post had a vested interest, I guess, to call out the people who'd lied to them, but as usual, don't seem to mind very much being lied to by the Biden campaign. So anyway, that's the sort of genesis of it. It's the cover-up, I think, that shows guilt. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. 
In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let me go off to one side for a second, because in the shadow of all the attention that Hunter gets, his uncle, President Biden's brother Jim, apparently has been doing this kind of stuff for years. And I don't know of anybody who's actually put together how long Jim Biden has been in the process of influence peddling. But what was your sense and what you saw about Jim Biden, the president's brother? Well, I mean, Jim Biden is sort of like a servant of Joe's, I guess. Everything he does from his very earliest days, he's quite a bit younger than Joe Biden. And while Joe was sort of the apple of his parents' eye and was sent to a private school and put on a pedestal, the other brothers, Jim and Frank, went to a less good school and weren't expected to be in the orbit of the great one. And Jim Biden sort of ran a nightclub, I think, when he first left school. And then I think he dropped out of college. And then he basically worked on Joe Biden's campaign. And he's really been operating in that sort of influence peddling business ever since. And look, I'm told that Jim Biden is the brains of the operation, whatever you can take from that. I was going to say, given the operation, one of the things I never have gotten an answer to, and I don't know if you were able to figure it out, but Hunter receives a pretty large wire transfer from Elena Batarina, who is the wife of the former Moscow mayor. This is early 2014. Do we have any idea why she was wiring him money? Well, it's interesting. Now, we know about that $3.5 million transfer from the Treasury reports that Senators Johnson and Grassley managed to get those suspicious activity transactions that banks put in from suspect people like Elena Bacherino, who was Russia's richest woman. She was the wife of the corrupt Moscow mayor. And she wanted to get a bank account in America. She was sanctioned. She was on a list, which is why she would have come up in the suspicious transactions. And so Devin Archer, Hunter Biden's business partner, worked to get her a JP Morgan bank account, which was really gold. I mean, the banks weren't supposed to give bank accounts to suspect or sanctioned people, these sort of corrupt Russian oligarchs. But somehow they managed to get an account for her. And they did various other things. I mean, Hunter and Devon Archer were looking at real estate transaction in Chelsea and New York for her. They were looking at other deals for her in America. From Devon Archer's emails anyway, they saw her as a real cash cow. Now, Hunter Biden's lawyer says that he had nothing to do with the $3.5 million that came into the account and that, in fact, this account, this Rosemont Seneca account, was controlled by Devon Archer and Hunter had nothing to do with it. 
But also what we know is that Hunter Biden met with Elena Baturina at least once at Lake Como at Villa d'Est, which is a beautiful hotel favoured by oligarchs on the shores of Lake Como. He met her in the bar there. And when Devon Archer and he were emailing each other about this upcoming meeting, they were sort of very giddy about being in the company of amazingly wealthy people. And Devon Archer called them the Garks. And he said, we're going to make out like Jason Bourne and James Bond. That's the way they saw themselves. And that was only about three weeks after she had wired that $3.5 million into that bank account associated with Devon Archer's business. Let me just ask you two last questions. To what extent do you think Hunter's drug addiction is a part of this whole story in that he is, in fact, sort of irresponsible and out of control? I think it's a big part of it. I mean, in part, it tells you that he was incapable of holding down a job at McDonald's, let alone running this sort of international complicated business. He had the sort of entree to Chinese state-owned enterprises that Goldman Sachs would kill for. And obviously, that was not because of his skills or talents. It was purely because of who his father was and the influence that these people hoped that he would wield on their behalf. He couldn't function for a lot of this nine-year period that the laptop covers. He couldn't answer emails. He just went AWOL. He would go to Chateau Marmont in Hollywood and just bunk down for weeks on end and just be cooking his own crack on the stoves there and he'd be out of it all day and dialing up escorts, Eastern European prostitutes. And in his own memoir, he describes how he called them ant trail of drug dealers and hookers would come through his hotel room and steal everything in sight, steal the robes and the towels and steal his wallet and steal his phones. And there were Russian drug dealers in Vegas who stole one of his laptops. So I think the drug part shows you that he's being used. And I also think it's significant in a way that it reflects on Joe Biden because Hunter's had addiction problems. I mean, when he was 18, he was busted by the police for cocaine. And I mean, what kind of a father puts his son with addiction problems in front of gushing torrents of unaccountable cash from really unsavory people, from the Chinese Communist Party, from Russian oligarchs, the inner sanctum of Putin. This is fascinating. And we really never got around to the Chinese, but we'll come back to them someday. And maybe if you'll tolerate it, we might actually just do something on China sometime. Miranda, I want to thank you for joining me today. I think your book is the most comprehensive window on Hunter Biden and the corruption scandal surrounding the Biden family that we have seen. All right. Thanks so much, Newt. Thank you to my guest, Miranda Devine. You can get a link to buy her book, Laptop from Hell, on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garnsey Sloan. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcast and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World.
I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.